0: This is Let's Talk Synesthesia, the podcast where I, Maike, psychologist and synesthesia artist meet scientists and synesthetes from around the world to explore the fascinating world of synesthesia. So come along and let's meet today's guest. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Synesthesia. Today, I'm going to meet a very special guest from Russia. Hi, Anton.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for taking the time to be on. I'm very excited for our conversation. So your name is Anton Sidorov-Dorso. I want to introduce you properly. Did I say it right?
1: Yes, Anton Sidorov-Dorso. Yes.
0: So who are you? The big question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, professionally, I'm a linguist and a psychologist. Uh, I'm also the founder of uh, the community of synesthetes in Russia, Russian synesthesia community. I, I have two functions worldwide, which is uh, first vice president of the International Association of Synesthetes Artists, and Scientists, and I'm also chief research officer with, uh, with, with, with the organization, non-profit organization called Journey Through the Senses.
0: So the first part on the podcast, we already had Sean Day and James Warnerton. So we know the IASAS quite well by now, which is good. But the second part, the NGO, can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Uh, it's an, a non-profit organization that tries to get this mission to society about neurodiversity and about synesthesia uh, and other forms of uh, unique perceptual profiles in we try to organize some uh, concerts and functions and activities uh, related to arts and science all across the globe and we have already many successful events in uh in kenya in in the usa in moscow Russia and now we're planning lots of other uh, minor and major events all across the world.
0: Well, oh, that sounds so cool. <laughs> What's the next event? I want to be part of it.
1: We are planning to hold um, an international conference in London, if it's all good. So it it will take place in October this year. Uh, there will be an event in New Zealand with uh, our artist raven turner who is an olfactory artist there will be uh, a small but important um, exhibition with uh, with a performance based on olfactory perception and uh well lots of other things that we're planning this year and the next
0: but there's probably a website right so i can tag it in the show notes.
1: sure it's org. yes
0: amazing okay and that's a company based in moscow
1: no it's the USA-based uh, organization.
0: Oh, Okay, I missed that. We already answered partially where you are based, but maybe you can tell us where you came from, where you're recording now.
1: Uh, yes, I was born in Russia, and now it's Moscow outside. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's still there. And I'm recording from this, from the capital of Russia. Yeah.
0: I looked it up, actually, because I thought Moscow must be far away from Innsbruck. And it's a 27-hour drive by car. But we're only one hour apart, which I found very surprising. Yeah,
1: it's a big distance, but as far as the saving time zones and saving time modes, I think we in Russia we do not change the time. So we now the close as close as possible to your place.
0: Yeah. So that was very convenient when finding <laughs> finding a time to record today. So my third question would be, yeah, I'm not going to ask you what forms of synesthesia you have, but how did you get into researching synesthesia?
1: Um, well, it's a long and meandering uh, way to the topic, which started about 15 years ago. Yes. Uh, so I found out that we had uh, some team dealing with synesthesia. At that time, it was called synesthesia. Now, it's mostly labeled as um, modal correspondences, cross modal correspondences, and intersensory mechanisms. Uh, and that team, guided and led by Ola uh, Galeyev, uh, who's now uh, no longer with us for many years, uh, they kind of initiated me to the topic. But it was like a a bit uh, questionable to me because uh, it wasn't synesthesia proper. So it wasn't the congenital synesthesia as we know now. Uh, So I decided to dig deeper into the topic and uh, got the idea that there are so many people around who do not know about this phenomenon. And even if they are possessors, if they carry this phenomenon, uh in their genes and in their minds they still do not know about it so uh lots of stuff to do and so as far as i was just scientists already and did some research in linguistics and i decided why it's it's just a it's a it's a gold mine for scientists and for public activity and you can help so many so many people around to know more. And so I decided to take this up. And, uh, well, it's a kind of love story for 15 years now.
0: Come well, that's so sweet. Well, yeah, and all the synesthetes appreciate people like you investigating the topic, even though you don't have a personal connection to it. That's just so, so important. So thank you for your work.
1: The other part to this story, Mike. the other part to this story was that uh i decided to set up some kind of a community around the topic so uh immediately i uh, organized a a public page in one of the most popular social networks in russia and it was in russian and you know it 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 hit like a house on fire because there was there was so many people ready to help and uh, we gathered a a bunch of people who were enthusiastic in reading more and knowing more and uh, we had volunteer translators who over several years like they've translated all the wikipedia from english into russian and all the pages about all the types of synesthesia and uh, it 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 was then just so popular among themselves and uh, really it it, it wasn't all my merit and my contribution by the community's contribution.
0: Or even better. Sounds fantastic. And is that still going?
1: Sure. Yes. It's it's like uh, we published two books. One of them was uh, uh, the books of proceedings of the Moscow conference that we had in uh, 2019 in October. And we also, I mean, my colleagues and contributors helped with translation of many articles of this book. So this public activity and this volunteer activity is going on and it doesn't stop. And just people are looking for new challenges and for new topics. So it's still alive.
0: Well, that's super cool. And synesthesia has, it's so complex. I mean there will always be stuff to to investigate also from different research disciplines right there's always something new to find out about it
1: knowing the complexity of the phenomenon from the inside as a scientist and researcher i can tell you that we're just at the beginning of things because obviously we don't know how the brain works in synesthesia it's just the first approximation that we had we don't know what it means to be a synesthete from the uh, point of view of neurophysiology, and lots of other things that are still uh, we still scratch the surface off. So it's just the beginning.
0: Yeah, well, that makes me excited for what's to come. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about the, the topics you focus on in your research? Uh,
1: it spans, well, let's well, difficult to generalize, okay, let's it spans like three topics, major topics. Uh, well, first I'm trying to understand what, what the nature of synesthesia is generally. And well, I'm, in, in this case, I'm a lumper, generalizer, trying to get the idea of what's there uh, in terms of phenomenology. And we can, can we generalize this upon neurophysiology? And well, I call it g- the generative, generative nature of synesthesia. I mean, by generative nature, I mean that synesthesia hijacks symbolic systems and uh, semantic systems such as music or alphabet or uh, uh, semantic aspects of language, uh, words or names. Even if you think of uh, olfactory synesthesia, all these small bits that are synesthesia consists of like small units of olfaction they also have this combinatorial genesis or nature that helps us to mediate uh, meaning in, in in cognition of this world so it's what i call generative nature or combinatorial semantic nature and it spans all this music and language and mathematics and it's all kind of systems to know, to get to know the world around. My second topic is what I call anthropology or ethnographic research. I'm hopeful to find local, uh, like, local types of synesthesia in other cultures. So obviously, if you think of music or uh, the alphabet or language, or you can think of other systems as well. So, well, we can have, I don't know, systems of weapons, or states of of weather, uh, kinship relationships. So lots of these things can also hijack or hinge upon uh, uh, synesthetic mechanisms. And this is the second one. And the third one, probably, well, it's better to be generalized as linking personality cognition and individual differences in synesthetes but probably the umbrella term would be synesthesia quotient so it's it's like the synesthesia quotient is uh, an individual measure uh, among and between synesthetes
0: and that's the topic we want to focus on a bit more today as i looked at a couple papers from you and i'm very keen to learn more about it and hear firsthand what the synesthesia quotient, what the idea is, what the variables are, and also the like hopes and limitations of this. So do I understand it correctly that it is an additional test for synesthetes to no. find out mm. it's not. Okay.
1: It's it's a little bit the same way, yes. You you got it right. But we need to think uh, of the first origins of the phenomena of, the, of this notion. In, obviously, we know what um, polysyesthetes are, or multiple synesthetes are, or single synesthetes are. So this, this is pretty obvious that some people might have uh, several types of synesthesia. And um, this one, I mean, th- this notion of uh, synesthesia quotient develops this idea. Ian talks about multi multi-aspectual synesthesia instead of talking just about the multiple type of synesthesia. In multiaspectral, you've got, for instance, uh, smells and letters and music as several different domains for eliciting uh, synesthesia experiences. Uh, well, when you're, for instance, just a multiple synesthete, you may have letters. And words very close to each other, like cognitively. So, and we need to discriminate this. I mean, we we should differentiate that this type is different from the other. And so we have our individual measure as characterizing an individual case of synesthesia as single, as multiple, as multi-spectral, multimodal, and you've got like a whole branch of a whole like network of types. And we put it linearly into what is called uh, synesthesia quotient from, say, 1 to 50, like you've got a score. Uh, and this is what uh, synesthesia quotient is about, but it doesn't stop here. And if you want me to develop this, I can tell you more.
0: Yeah, I, I do want you <laughs> to explain a bit more, but I also have a couple questions. So... A person with a synesthesia quotient of one would have no synesthesia at all? Or what would the profile look like?
1: If you have zero, you're a non synesthete
0: Okay. If you have
1: one to, say, ten, it's very conventional. So one to ten, it's like uh, you've got weak synesthesia. And if you've got 50, you've got multiple types of synesthesia, and both that are cognitively uh, complicated. And uh, in terms of modality, there are lots of modalities involved. So this is kind of two extremes from Mm -hmm. having just a single type to having multiple types in multiple domains, in multiple cognitive domains, in multiple modalities. This is it.
0: Exactly, no, that's exactly what I wanted to get behind. Okay, very interesting. So what are the hopes?
1: Uh, Well, hopes are that we can apply this in studying the synesthetic brain in general so for instance you know about uh, uh, some uh, you know, some differences on synesthetes brain and you know that this is a, a kind of a synesthete with a lower score uh, in uh, synesthesia quotient and this one is a higher score and this kind of a contrastive case can help you uh, differentiate synesthetic brains generally So you know that this is a contrastive case, so you can just derive from the MRI scans or from other measures that you can just put into groups and say what synesthesia is all about. So if you have uh, less synesthesia and more synesthesia, for science, this is a a rather revealing case if you could differentiate these type of uh, individual measures. Uh, You can apply this to, you know, sibling studies, to brain studies uh, and to other psychological and neurocognitive studies just to see if this comparison works on other planes and in other domains. And this might be insightful. This might be. I did my research uh, with personality and cognitive traits, and I can show you there is a whole profile, a kind of a set of clusters or a cluster of uh, aspects that do Uh, hang together when synesthesia is high. And they kind of less expressed, all of them are less expressed when synesthesia is lower. And it goes like uh, hand-in-hand, what we call correlation. They correlate with each other all along the correlation with the synesthesia quotient, with the individual measure of synesthesia.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting. So Personality traits are higher when synesthesia is higher, too?
1: Yes, some of them. Not all, but some of them. For instance, yeah, just in my study, it was uh, seeking for intellectual impressions. It was part of seeking sensory sensations. Well, there is a notion in psychology. Uh, And part of this is seeking for intellectual impressions. And this one was obviously. On and going along the same trajectory with the uh, with the uh, synesthesia quotient. There, w- there were a couple of less uh, distinct uh, individual differences, but that one was quite high.
0: So, in your research now, and maybe also in the research of other labs around the world, is the synesthesia quotient inventory used already to make? like that distinction between groups and make it, so I imagine it's like a tool for scientists to look at it even.
1: Not, it is it is used, uh, but okay, let me just say that it's not as much as I wanted to, but uh, there are a couple of other cases when a similar notion or, I mean, individual measure can be used as well. I know that Jemmy Ward has got his own idea about how to measure linearly uh, this uh, type of this aspect in synesthesia, and uh, there is also this index from the Eagleman battery, uh, which can be used as well as uh, some indicator of the individual you know amount or magnitude of synesthesia uh It's less reliable but because we know that consistency as such cannot be a measure of magnitude but in, in some approximations, probably this index can also be used as an individual measure in synesthesia, but I would, I, would, I would check it twice.
0: So you're saying that the synesthesia quotient inventory is a bit more reliable?
1: Yes, because it's more analytical. Uh, when I just tried developing this, designing this quotient, I tried to think about all the aspects in neurophysiology in neurocognitive science back 10 years ago and try to include all the possible aspects that we can generalize synesthesia into such as modalities and uh, uh, whether the synesthesia is, synesthesia is uh, of, projective, of the projective type or association so everything should be included at the initial phase uh, so it's, it's not enough to say that you've got uh, many types and you're a multiple synesthesia and you've got one type and you've got a single synesthesia Lots of other aspects can be and are involved. So I hope that my measure is more analytical and you can just calculate very accurately the amount or the level to which synesthesia develops in a particular individual.
0: Interesting, yeah. In one of the papers, there were a couple of questions attached at the end. So can you tell us a bit about does the person, the synesthete, fill out that survey, or is it an interview? How How is the information conducted? Uh,
1: d- yes, yeah, it's done both because definitely the questions are quite intricate and complicated, so it's very detailed. So mostly this is done uh, without any assistance. An administration, uh, well, without any assistance of this of this particular measure is possible, but sometimes uh, those who take this uh, survey they do address me they do turn to me for a kind of a, a clue what what's meant especially uh, some kind of question seven and question six are mostly the most challenging because there are if I'm not mistaken about the number of those the numbers of those questions so they're mostly talking about this intricacy of modalities so well this for the first person singular in in a person who's not related to psychology these descriptions even if you can try to simplify them which i did when developing the i mean when wording those questions even if you do so both well, anyway the complexity of these subjective experiences can be quite daunting and challenging so mostly this is done individually but sometimes I received some messages and emails uh, about how to do this. And, but okay, with a couple of uh, prompts and with a couple of uh, uh, guidelines, well, people do it individually anyway.
0: So is it like, is it helpful if listeners fill it out? um, And would that give you more data or? I'm
1: working on this definitely. And I thought of giving it uh, like a more um, interactive tint so i think that without any assistance from you know from commentaries or from me explaining some some aspects of the questions it might be a bit impossible especially on a massive scale so i'm planning a massive uh, survey just to improve the uh, quotient itself trying to what we call standardize this and verify this so so it's not now publicly available but it's publicly available as a scientific publication so anyone who's interested interested in this could download my uh my paper my article and just see the text of the of the questionnaire of the inventory and use it And, and people do use it like this
0: Yeah, cool. Now, I'm definitely going to put your name and papers in the show notes so people can have a look if they want to learn more about the synesthesia quotient. I mean, it's very complex, but so is synesthesia and so is the brain. But thank you so much for your insight on that topic. Um, So what are the limitations? (laughs) If there are any, probably.
1: As any inventory and pencil and paper inventory or pencil and paper test addressing the self-report. So what we rely here uh, is uh, we rely on uh, self-report. And there are always like subjective and objective limitations of self-report in psychology. And we are aware of this. Well, another limitation, yes, another limitation might be that it's not very much standardized now. Some of the points, though they may be very insightful and informative about this subjective experience in an individual case they might be a little bit redundant so to speak so though they do not crisscross i mean they do not overlap in terms of topics and in terms of experience description of experiences they may be a bit uh, redundant in terms of uh, what we call factor or well to, to put it simpler reason or cause. Uh, and standardization is important now at this phase of, 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 of uh, development of this uh, inventory. So this is another limitation. Uh, I always advise uh, those uh, testees who, who's, who's taking this inventory first to take the Eagleman battery test, because it gives you a verification number. Like, are you actually a synesthete or a non-synestheted? And after that, you can measure how much synesthesia synesthesia you've got. Well, for sure, I'm simplifying here a bit. uh, So it's not just how much you've got, it's just this overlapping between genetics and environmental influences and how they translate. I mean, those influences into our specific subjective experience.
0: Okay, that's a very important clarification. Thank you. That makes sense. And our listeners are from all parts of the world, from different backgrounds, from different professions, and different ages. So I think you you gave a good summary of like what is it in very simple, non academic words to what is it actually in an academic context. So thank you. Do you want to add anything to that topic of the synesthesia quotient, or Would you be down to look at the synesthesia conference that happened in Moscow in
1: 2019? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point to remember and to reflect on. Just we have something that unites us and there is something like a good tradition of studying synesthesia both in Russia and both in in other countries. So this was the idea. I remember that we've got people from 50 countries, and uh, around that number that we calculated. And it was a it was a real, real festival of four days or even five days. We started at the Museum of Moscow. Then there was another partner who was the Tchaikovsky uh, State Conservatory in Moscow. And then we've got this um, um, Moscow, uh, in uh, Moscow University of Psychology and Education, who was one of the three major partners, and it was a real festival of uh, um, openness, of friendship, and of uh, sharing our synesthetic and uh, scientific minds with each other.
0: Well, wow, that sounds so cool. I wished I would have been there. So I think that was one of the biggest conferences in the like synesthesia community history wasn't it
1: yeah people say so i do not compare magnitudes it wasn't my idea that it was just a good atmosphere and it was just so heartwarming to see so many friends here on my soil in moscow in russia so many big names of 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 the synesthesia community and or of, of of science and academia so my my first impression was that oh gosh how many good people came here and that we could you know, just see each other and i was uh, yeah you know very encouraged by those people who came yeah but people say so this was the biggest event in memorable in memorable history yes over these 30 or 40 years
0: well I mean, what you just said sounds a lot better than just being the biggest conference. It sounds like a very, just an amazing event where you could connect and and enjoy this amazing community and feel like.
1: Yeah, I was surprised. I was really surprised how friendly and welcoming all those uh, organizers were. And the Tchaikovsky Conservatory... And they gave us two days. And with all their stages, we, we, we had the big stage and the small hall uh, for experimental music. And we had uh, this uh, lecture hall in the psychology and education university in the Moscow Museum also was very involved in giving us the space for as a small welcoming uh, symposium so really it was i think that was the better uh russia that i would like people to remember
0: Mm. well wonderfully said yeah so what can we expect for the conference in london this year
1: it's difficult to predict and uh, expect anything because we're still preparing it and uh yeah well i cannot promise anything because mostly uh
0: maybe a good atmosphere (laughs) i guess that absolutely
1: uh well i mean i mean so and this is all about synesthesia synesthesia is is an atmosphere in terms of joining people joining senses joining the minds and lots of other you know you know these big crisscrosses in our lives and for some people it's very sensitive and it's very uh personally important and this is also gives uh, a little bit of motivation
0: and another component besides like the personal experience and science is that it taps so much into like the arts and music absolutely and all of these absolutely other... yes the last question on my list would be if you could give us any insight and on what it's like to be a synesthete in russia and how change it changes. it changed over the last, let's say,
1: decades. I think that the better person to ask will be your next guest, uh, Elena Lastovina, who is a synesthete.
0: I'm very interested and intrigued to hear what Elena has to tell about her experience as a synesthete and her personal experience of being a synesthete in Russia and also the conference in Moscow that she attended.
1: Yes, she is a very active um, member of our community uh, and she's helpful And I think that she might have a better and deeper insights of both personal and communal. And yes, I think that it's, it's going to be a very interesting talk too.
0: Perfect, I mean, that's just the best of both worlds, the science perspective and have the personal perspective and just bring it all together and understand being a synesthete better. Step by step, that's what my podcast wants to do.
1: As the initiator of this uh, series of podcasts, I think that you've been contributing to the same idea of giving people choice of their self-identity, differentiating people and just giving this uh, fabric of humanity a a clearer face uh, of, of both agency and self-identity
0: wow it just needs a it needs a stage and a safe space to to talk and explore it and yeah i'm really trying to do that
1: before before we wrap it uh we, we wrap it up i would like to invite all your listeners to what we call our synesthesia seminars this autumn it's going to be like an autumn of synesthesia that the International Association of synesthetes Artists and Scientists is organizing in collaboration with uh, the University of St Andrews in uh, Scotland. We will have six uh, online seminars with prominent uh, practitioners, synesthete practitioners, such as perfumers, musicians, uh, cinematographers, probably uh and, and and other people who made a name in their respective fields with uh they're going to talk with academicians in the related domains so it's going to be like a, like an insightful exchange of uh, talks and uh questions and answers from both themselves and from the audience so i'm inviting all your listeners also to join these seminars this autumn
0: wow that's so cool i love it and how how can we sign up for this
1: uh we will have an announcement soon i think that me uh somewhere mid mid summer uh we will just make an announcement uh now what we're doing is uh gathering people who are going to be our guests and contributors so we've uh invited almost all of them and received agreements to take part and uh, so one of our guests will be Don Goldworm, who is the perfumer with uh, Cati and other famous brands. And now she's working on her own. Uh, she was one of the creator, or probably the creator, Yeah, she was the creator of the Lady Gaga Black Liquid Fame perfume that wow. changes color when you apply it to your Kim. Uh, and so I think that it's wow. very synesthetic to do to, to with a perfume. Or uh, when you sh- when you think about not just the smell of of the perfume but also how it changes color on your skin, and we are going to listen to those uh, other tricks of the trade and probably uh, you know some other strategies that synesthetic practitioners use uh, to become to become acknowledged and successful
0: wow that's so cool, so listeners could even reach out to be one of the presenters
1: yes uh, so far we've got some um we, we've already collected all of them actually and uh okay. we do it on our own because we are trying to choose and pick those people who are already are uh, made uh, who are already prominent and renowned in their field in, in this case yeah in this case yeah it, it's, it's going to be like we invite them and whether they accept our invitation or just uh, or otherwise we make the this kind of couples we we, we we make pairs of the academician and the practitioner and we've got a very strict scenarios how to do so because we try to have some guidelines for presentations just to make them merge in terms of uh, topi- topics, topics and research areas and interests yes but otherwise yeah, just follow the announcement. I think that we will make and we will make announcement through, uh, Sean's uh, list, for uh, for 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 Synesthetes, and probably on the on the uh, on on Facebook and other channels that we have, uh, just to 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 spread the word.
0: That's a really cool concept. I really like that. I'm looking forward to this. So we're just gonna have our eyes open for when you announce it. And then this will be in, uh, you said, autumn, and it will be based in in St. Andrews in Scotland.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So cool. So will it also be in person or is it an exclusively online event?
1: Uh, yes, it's online. So to make it convenient for all of us, because we live in different com- countries and, and corners of the globe, So we make it online because in this case, we've got a broader, uh, a broader pool of talents and a broader pool of academicians just to make them click together, because obviously we we cannot just invite everyone uh, physically. I mean, uh, just invite them physically to one room. It might be very difficult, but in this case, we will have first an online event broadcast live. And then it, it's going to be recorded and published on uh, St. Andrew's webpage uh, as part of the series because they have a long uh, series of such seminars for other you know, topics and domains, how art is related to science and how senses the senses work uh, for contributing to, to art making and creativity. So in this case, these six seminars uh, will be dedicated exclusively to synesthesia, arts, and science.
0: Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that piece of information. I like it. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for all the information on what's going on around the globe. It's very exciting, and it, it's made me feel very connected today. I feel like I got a sense of the atmosphere that you felt in moscow a couple years ago so that's cool thank you so so much anton
1: yeah yeah thank you for your series as well series of podcasts and it's been um it's been a real delight talking to you and sharing with you about all this uh exciting things uh, about synesthesia
0: thank you that's so kind of you to say likewise Thank you so much for being on and let's stay in contact and we might meet each other in, in London at the next conference.
1: Sure, yeah. Let's stay in touch.
0: Have a lovely day. Yeah, see you. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm now here with Jelena Lastovina. Hi, Yelena. How are you doing today?
2: Hi, Maike. Uh, so nice to spend this morning uh, with you. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for taking the time. One day has passed since my interview with Antim yesterday, and now I'm so happy to meet you today. Should we just dive into it? What are your forms of synesthesia? Well, what's your relationship with it?
2: I have a graphene color form, which is considered the most common, you know. (laughs) Uh, But the second uh, type I have is just the opposite uh, opposite one of the rarest forms – sound to taste synesthesia it's hard to me to say uh, which of them uh, appeared earlier but my childhood memories uh especially vividly connected uh, with the taste of words Uh, first of all these are names (laughs) and um, my first synesthetic sensations is connected with my mother's name uh her name is marina Uh, maybe you know (laughs) And I love uh, this name very much, it's beautiful. Uh, we know that it means uh, sea from Latin word. And it would be logical <laughs> if this name had a blue color because um, in my synesthetic alphabet to the letter letter M is really blue, Uh, but the name Marina for me is red and it has a taste of uh, tomato (laughs) or tomato juice. (laughs) So it's really tasty.
0: That's so cool. Do you have a taste for your own name?
2: Uh, it's really a problem (laughs) with some uh, with some names it's uh, I still uh, don't know what taste uh, they have and uh, when when I was preparing to become a mother myself of course I relied on my taste preferences when we choosing a name for my son (laughs) And uh, I had three options, and uh, by incredible luck, one of them coincided with my husband' option. <laughs> Since uh, we are both from a poetic environment, uh, he liked my suggestion to name the boy Arseny, like the Russian poet Arseny Tarkovsky. Maybe you hear about them. Uh, maybe you hear about uh, his son, Andrei Tarkovsky, who is a director. Uh, he lived in italia so that's uh, why many people uh, think that uh, we named uh, my son after senator koski but for me it's a name with the taste of my favorite oatmeal cookies <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes and not cookies from the store but uh, the cookies to my grandmother's recipe uh, It has unusual round shape, but rectangular (laughs) for a shape. And it's really uh, one of my favorite tasters in the world. (laughs)
0: Um, That's such a funny story. Yeah, I love that. What does the name of your husband taste like? um, uh,
2: His name was uh, Sergei uh, Serge. uh, It's... uh, like a cabbage (laughs) and I love it
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it so can I ask you what are the good and bad things about your synesthesia
2: my synesthesia has never burdened me, and uh, considering that I am, as it uh, fashionable to say now a creative person as you too, <laughs> you understand, uh, it naturally helped me because in my case, it is very easy to make my synesthesia a part of my creative method, you know. For example, the name Wicheslav. Taste is like a sweet and juicy pear. So uh, when I write the poem, I can take and and encrypt this name, uh, so that no one will guess who this poem is dedicated to. And I encrypt this name in the line. What is your name uh, that sounds like a sweet pear? And... uh, the second example uh, is interesting because some words have not one taste but several at once, uh, like a salad <laughs> in which different products are mixed. You know, um, the name Ilya uh, in Russian, Il uh, Elias in English, maybe, yeah, um, com- combines the taste of scrambled eggs and orange juice. <laughs> No. Uh, it's really a good uh, breakfast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And if we talk about the minuses of synesthesia, uh, they primarily consist in tasteless, nasty words that I hear, have to hear or to pronounce um, Maybe I can say about the obscene vocabulary, now. by the way, it's all disgusting in taste. And uh, to me, it's like a strong alcohol, <laughs> which I hate. <laughs> mm. And it's also in unpleasant uh, when you can't uh, determine what at least approximately the taste of what specifically the name of a person with whom you have to communicate regularly i still haven't figured out some of the words it happens uh that you know the taste but you can guess it it's, it's uh, make me sad
0: <laughs> yeah i can't even imagine that's uh i have you met uh james bonerton
2: Uh, Yes, I I want to talk um, some later. But I listened uh, to your podcast with James. (laughs) Sure. Um, And uh, it was interesting about uh, languages. Uh, Yeah, I want to say that uh, you discussed uh, the sound of languages. Yeah. Yes, uh, Chinese uh, Ch- uh, German, uh, and I want to say that for me, the sound of German speech uh, and uh, the Chinese speech is very unpleasant. <laughs> really. It's so yes, it, it's uh, it's so sad. But uh, China's uh, language is specific in principle. You know, all the Eastern languages, uh, they are not uh, like uh, the west languages (laughs) so it's really hard to listen and to study them you know but uh, as for the german it makes me feel thirsty even when i listen it too little it's so strange but it's so i want to drink when i hear it
0: (laughs) ah that's so fascinating thank you for sharing so what is it like for Russian?
2: The Russian is uh, as the English, by the way, uh, is we uh, are too beautiful and too tasty languages. I don't know how to describe the Russian languages, but as for English language, it's like uh, chocolate, maybe Nutella. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, I'm very happy for you. <laughs> I'm <glad> Yes, <laughs> it's luck. I'm fortunate. So you are based in Moscow, aren't you? No, I am in Volgograd.
2: Oh. Maybe, you know, is uh, it is Stalingrad, uh, the city from the a big and sad war story. It was destroyed. Yes. And yes, I, I live here, but my father is from Moscow. <laughs> so so Moscow is my second uh, native city.
0: Cool. Okay. I didn't know that. So can you share a bit about what it's like to be a synesthete in Russia and how it changed over the years? Sure. Uh, it
2: was August uh 2012 when I found uh, the community of Russian synestets in social network and uh its administrator was and still is Anton. Finally, I found out what my taste perceptions are called, <laughs> and it was uh, just the beginning of my delight. The continuum was an acquaintance uh, with uh, James Wonerton, who also turned out to be a taste synesthet and uh, was just looking for people with this type of synesthesia in Russia. So, in general, I plunged into this world with my head. Uh, at that time, in, twen- in 2012, there is, uh, was not even a Wikipedia article about synesthesia in Russian Internet. So, I was glad to become a volunteer in this sense and participate in the translation of the article from English into Russian about synesthesia with Anton and other uh, and much later, I helped with the translation and proofreading of materials for a collection of interviews timed to coincide with the beginning of the international symposium on synesthesia in Moscow.
0: That's so cool!
2: Yeah, it was so interesting.
0: <laughs> and uh, are you talking about the international conference in Moscow? The symposium was that uh, conference in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard Anton already speak about it briefly. How how good it was, and how amazing the atmosphere was, and how nice it was to have everybody. Yeah. In his country, can you tell us a bit about what it was like for you?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh like a big family holiday i think uh, where numerous wow. <laughs> relatives from different countries gathered we were very lucky with forever and so everyone was talking photographing moscow sites uh, listening to the concerts uh getting acquainted and chatting so uh, i have never been abroad and for me it was like a brief of oxygen <laughs> and uh, As it turned out later, the last (laughs) breath of oxygen before the long era of COVID, you know, it was hard for all the world. So yes, the conferences was really, really beautiful. One of the beautiful memories (laughs) in my life.
0: Oh, that's so good to hear. So cool. I wished I would have been there. What are your hopes for yourself and for synesthetes around the world?
2: I want to say that uh, for this long period, uh, when I started uh, to live in in the world of (laughs) synesthetes, there have been many publications about synesthesia in Russian uh, and even uh, the publishing house of Petersburg, published booked in russian by a neurologist and senior maybe you know him joel salinas an american neurologist yeah he will be on the
0: podcast
2: <laughs> wonderful <laughs> i i didn't doubt <laughs> in you <laughs> okay good <laughs> um and so um, according to the results of the moscow conference a collection was also published a year ago and it, like the previous collection can be read on website Uh, But mostly people in Russia are still unaware of the phenomenon of synesthesia. And so when I start telling someone about it, as a rule, a person confuses uh, synesthesia with anesthesia or synergy because words uh, sound similarly, you know. Yeah. And I have to explain what it is. And usually I resort to the help of uh, Vladimir Nabokov, <laughs> who described his feelings, or to Arthur Rimbaud with his poem about vowel letters. But the most important problem in our country, I think is even not that people don't know, but what they don't want to know about it. This is a special type of thinking, and it's really I feel disappointment.
0: So you would want people to to be more open and interested and curious.
2: Yeah yeah sure because it's really an important thing and uh, anton does uh, so many good things for people to know about it because uh, if you you know that your child has synesthesia you can help your child uh, to feel uh, better in this world because it's really a problem if you don't have a friend uh, who can uh, who you can speak to about your synesthesia, it's really a problem. It was my problem, and uh, it's uh, the people who understand us, and uh, that's
0: so true. And that's also the reason why I started my own psychological coaching business, because I want to help families and and children with my clinical background and synesthesia background, just understanding what it is, because it's so, like you said, so important to understand yourself and your kid to support properly. And it's fascinating as well. Like, it's just an amazing aspect of our being that should really be embraced and, and not suppressed.
2: Mm -hmm. And about my hopes for myself and other synesthetes around the world I can say that uh, after everything that has happened over the past year (laughs) I only have hopes for light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) I know that uh, Anton is uh, too pessimistic about (laughs) the situation in the world Too many doors have slammed shut and continue to slam shut I still can't believe what it happened, but but life goes on. And even in my uh, provincial city, exhibitions of young artists and uh, new theatre projects are opening and uh, book festivals, music festivals and art festivals are taking place. So it uh, gave me a little hope that life goes on.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, it it's it's hard times well Yelena, thank you so so much it was lovely to talk to you thank you so much for your insight it was so nice to meet you I hope yeah I hope things improve and I'm sending you a big hug from from Austria and hope those slammed doors open again slowly one at a time
2: yes thank you too much to you <laughs> It's so cool that uh, James proposed it to me to talk with you. I was so happy.
0: Oh, right. He connected us. I forgot. It was weeks ago. Exactly. He did that. <laughs> yeah. James, if you're listening, thank you for connecting. <laughs> for connecting us. Cool. Have a lovely day, Elena. Thank you so much again. And let's stay in contact and hope we speak soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Let's Talk Synesthesia. There will be a new episode of Series 1 every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, you can like, follow and share. Details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes. The executive producer was Micah Pricing with music by Corin Anderson. And the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.